You're listening to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded June 15th, 2015. The Driving Force. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Sorry that we have not had anything the last couple weeks. It's just been incredibly busy and this is the first opportunity I have had to get in front of the microphone and give you a sermon. What is our motivation? What is it within us that causes us to do the things that we do? Maybe you heard the story of the woman who was in need of some money, and so she decided that she was going to try to auction off the sun on eBay. She was laying claim that she owned the sun and had the ability to auction it off and eBay saw this and they said, wait, you can't, you don't own the sun. You can't auction the sun. And so they, they took her posting off of eBay. Well, as a result, she, uh, she ended up suing eBay because she felt that she owned the sun, right? Sometimes we're motivated out of money and sometimes we will do things, irrational things like claiming we own the sun, to try to make money. Now, maybe you haven't tried anything that crazy, but I'm sure there's been things, you've done things in your life that have been motivated and by reasons that maybe you wouldn't be proud of. Today, I want to look at what motivates us, and we're going to be looking at this in the context of Acts uh, chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, they're on their first missionary journey. This is the first time that we see in the book of Acts that people are sent out, not because they're forced out out of fear of being killed, but are sent out because this is what God has called them to do. And we saw um, in the previous chapter that they are actually they're sent out and they, the church lays hands and they send out their very best, Paul and Barnabas. And so they, they go out onto this missionary journey and they would start off at going to synagogues because that's where place, that's the place where people knew them and they already kind of had a foundation of who God is. And so while they're in the synagogue, they ask Paul to give words of exhortation or words of comfort. And Paul, he understands their condition. He understands their place and what they're going through. And the kind of comfort that they need. The, the Jewish people and Christians were under this Roman Empire. And they felt that at any moment, the Roman Empire could just wipe them out and do away with them. And so whenever they walked into the synagogue, when, whenever they're going about life, there's this cloud that kind of hung over them, knowing that they are just a breath away from their whole life and everything that they know being destroyed. And so they kind of always live in the state of fear. They live in the state of fear of not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing what's coming. Maybe some of us live in a similar situation where we, we live in this state of fear, not knowing what's going to happen. But this was a very real fear. Their whole way of life was threatened. And so Paul, knowing this, he starts his words of exhortation, his words of comfort like this. He, he begins to tell the story of Egypt. 
And the mystery of Egypt is that they were once slaves in Egypt, and had God not chosen to save them and deliver them, they would not exist as a people at that time. They would not exist had God not intervened and delivered them out of Egypt. And God was faithful to them. God provided them judges who, who ruled over them. God gave them prophets and, and, and kings. And then he even mentions David. But it's not that all of those prophets and judges were perfect. And kings were perfect. In fact, David, we know that David was a murderer. He was sleeping with another man's wife and then has the man killed. And it's out of this line, out of these imperfect people, how God has continued to use them. God has continued to be faithful to them. It's out of this line that Jesus has come. And listen to his words in verse 38. He says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Paul's words of comfort is to remind them God has been faithful from the beginning and through Jesus everything is being put back to right to right the forgiveness of sins is available to you the law of Moses you're not a slave to that anymore but you are set free and in the midst of this Jesus he's doing something completely new something that you would not believe so when you look at the fear when you look at what's going on around you, know that God is still active. He is still working among you. He is present with you. He's going to do something that's even better than you could imagine. And the people respond to Paul's words. And they invite him back for the next Sabbath. They're all like, that was great. That was amazing. More people need to hear this. And so the next Sabbath, the whole town was there this is what it says in 13 verse 44 on the next sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the lord when the jews saw the crowds they were filled with jealousy they began to contradict what paul was saying and heaped abuse on him so the whole crowd and everybody's there and 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 they're gravitating towards the words that god is active he's present here among us he's doing something far better than we could even imagine but there is those among them that are invested in keeping things the way they are, keeping peace so that they can maintain. They don't see outside of what they're doing. And so they want to maintain and, and they, they see how effective Paul and Barnabas are. And they're filled with jealousy. And that jealousy, what's going on within them, that jealousy causes them to act. They begin heaping abuse onto Paul and Barnabas, and, and they go out of their way to stir everybody up. So Paul and Barnabas, they depart, and they say, you know what, we're going to go on and, and, and minister to some Gentiles. So they go to another place called Iconium, and when they get there, um, the people had already been stirred up, the Gentiles and the Jews, and when they get there, there's already a plot to kill them. 
And so they go on and they go to Lystra. And when they enter Lystra, they find a man who was crippled. He had been crippled since birth. His whole life, he had been crippled. And Paul and Barnabas heal him. And as a result, the people see this and they want to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they call them Zeus and Hermes. It says this in Acts 14, starting in verse 13. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from the worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So Paul's motivation in healing this man who was crippled was not to gain accolades for himself, not to be thought of as a God among them, but was to point them to the living God. So when they try to make a God out of him, he points out, no, friends, what? don't do this. I'm about the living God. He's the, he's the God who controls all things. He's the one who causes the rains to come. He's the one that fills your heart with joy. Because that's what they're experiencing in that moment, watching this man who was crippled be made well. And he's saying, this is the God that causes joy to rise up in you. You kind of get the feeling that this is a fickle crowd, right? I mean, these two guys roll into town, heal a man, and now they want to make them gods just like that. And the story goes on, and, and Jews from the last two places they had been come to Lystra. And it says that they won over the crowd. So now the crowd has turned on Paul, and they, they try to stone him, and they do. And they think they've killed him, and they leave him to go. And the disciples gather around Paul, and he, he and Barnabas, um, and the, when the disciples gather around Paul, he gets up, and he and Barnabas go. See, the crowd went from wanting to worship them to wanting to kill them. And the reason is, is because the jealousy that the Jews had fi- um, were feeling from the last two places they had been was stirred up so much in their hearts that they were willing to go to another town to stir up more people. What's going on in their hearts is now affecting their actions, See, I think the same thing happens within us. We often respond to situations based on the condition of our heart. If our hearts are full of fear and loneliness and unknowing and jealousy and grief, that's going to play out in our relationships. That's going to play out with everybody we come in contact with. 
See, I think one of the ways that, that Christians, we, we try to, we try to mask this. We hide this is because we feel those things, right? We have things that happen to us. We have things that are going on in our life that we know that God needs to deal with. And then we'll wrap it in this Christian language. We'll say, well, this is just kind of between me and God. Right, this is just something between me and God that I need to deal with, with God. Dallas Willard, he writes this. For all that is between me and God affects who I am, and that in turn modifies my relationship with everyone around me. You see, nothing is only between you and God, because what's happening in our hearts plays out in our relationships with one another. Whether we like it or not, we live in the midst of community. Your church community, your family, your workplaces, we are not isolated people. What's happening, what's going on within us affects everybody else. Our relationship with God affects our neighbor. psychologists call this when when things are going on in our lives and then it plays out in other ways they call this transference i was uh, and, and and it's not always negative either uh i was uh pastoring at a church and i was speaking in a service that i didn't normally speak in and after the service you know we got done and and this lady comes up to me and she keeps telling me how amazing the sermon was and she keeps going on and on and on um and it, it started to make me uncomfortable like that was the best thing i'd ever heard and blah 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 she kept going on and i was like all right well you know i thought i preached a good sermon but i'm not like a billy graham or or anything like that and and so so the next time i preached she comes up to me again. That was the best thing I'd ever heard. Oh my goodness, you're gonna go for all these places, blah 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 blah. And she goes on and on and on, and I got really uncomfortable. And as I eventually got to know this lady over time, I found out that her husband used to be a pastor who had passed away um, a few years back, and now, in fact, her grandson, who lived on the other side of the United States, who happened to look a lot like me had just gotten his first church. He was his first pastorate. And so all these feelings and emotions that she had towards her, her husband and her grandson, whom she was so proud of that he was following God's call on his life and was preaching every week at, the, at this church, all these feelings she had for him were then being laid out onto me. All those feelings of affection that she wanted to give to her grandson but just couldn't because of distance was then falling on to me. A church where I was a worship pastor at. Um, my first week uh, I had started there, um, this man who was actually the former worship pastor, the, actually the last two worship pastors were still in the church, um, and I knew that going in, he comes up to me and says, Hey, you know what? Great job. You know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to write you a little critique every week to help you out. And so sure enough, uh, every Monday morning I'd open up my email and there was like a three to four page critique, um, of the way that I led worship. And, uh, and a lot of it was positive, um, but, the, you know, there's some negative stuff, and I, I'm not above, like, needing critique and needing help and whatnot. But 
given his role in the past and, and uh, he was probably not the appropriate person to be giving me that critique. And so this went on for a few weeks and, and eventually I, I went to the senior pastor who, uh, you know, my boss and I said, Hey, you know, I keep getting these emails and you know, what's behind this? Did you tell him to do this or why is he doing this? And he explained to me that, that this man had a real need to be needed. And so the way that he was playing out that need to be needed was that he felt like he could help me. He could help me become a better worship leader. And so through that, he was going to critique me. See, what's going on in our hearts, our needs, our felt needs, will often then play out in our relationships with other people. You see, we don't, we don't live isolated. We don't live away from people. But what's going on within us will hurt others. Or the relationship that we have with God. The things, the, the time we spend with God, that will have a positive effect on others. And so we see what, what Paul is doing is he realizes that these people who have been grieving, who are hurting, who know that at any moment their life could change. And what he's claiming is that Jesus has come and he has set us free and he is doing a new thing. And so what's being played out is all the jealousy and hurt and pain that God is not working the way they want God to work. You see, our brokenness will hurt others. It's not private. And I think that's the problem with individualism. We are not isolated. We live in community. So when we say, well, what's best for you is good for you, and what's best for me is best for me, that is a lie. That is a bold face lie. Because the reality is, is that we do not live isolated from each other. And the brokenness and hurt that we feel will play out with our relationships with others. See, the truth is we all have fears and insecurities. But will we allow God to transform our hearts and our minds? Will we allow God to work in us? Will we lay our hurts and fears on the altar and ask God to renew us? Paul, he writes this in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, I believe that God is a God of transformation. God sent his son to transform us and renew us. And so those things that are going on in our hearts, if we just let them fester, if we just let them stay there, we are going to hurt the people around us. A dear friend of mine, when he was in high school and college, he became addicted to drugs. And he tells this the story about when he was in his early 20s that uh, in the course of, of a couple months, he was at four funerals of his best friends who all died of drug overdoses. 
and, and his parents had actually cut him off because he his behavior was so hurtful and he had a younger sister that they were trying to protect and, and it grieved them that they had to cut their own son off for their own protection. And, and this didn't stop him. He just kept going. He, he was angry at them for, for not supporting him. And one night he got so angry and so bitter, he just said, I'm going to end it. And so he, his goal that night was to drink as much alcohol and take as much drugs as possible, and hopefully he'll just die while being passed out. He ends up getting taken to the hospital, and he's in and out of consciousness, and he remembers, like, he feels like he's so close to death, but he, his parents are in the room, and they're crying, and they're praying over him. And it was when he noticed his parents crying and praying over them, did he realize now, unfortunately, it took him to this point, but did he realize that his actions, his relationship to God, or lack thereof, was affecting his family, was affecting everybody around him? And so he talks about this experience, having this experience with the divine while close to death, and now he is a pastor. He's responding to God's call on his life and has a family and, and a beautiful child. And it's amazing to see what God has done. But one of the things that he realized, that what he was doing, what was going on in his heart, his anger and bitterness had a profound effect on everybody around him. And now he looks at his life, how God has gotten a hold of them and how he has a relationship with God and how that affects all of his relationships. Shortly after my wife and I got married, we got the news that my wife's mom was going to leave the family. She had been having an affair for nine years. And this just crushed my wife. She looked up to her mom. Her mom was a role model in her life and this just broke her and to find out that that the life that that the relationship she had with her mom for the last nine ten years was an absolute lie and as a result of, of watching my wife go through this pain and this suffering i found myself getting bitter and angry towards my wife's family you know, watching my wife, the hurt and the brokenness, and then I find myself getting angry that why would somebody do this towards my wife? Why would somebody do this to her? This is so hurtful and so much pain. And one of the things, and you know what the reality is? I like sitting in that anger. Because you know what? It, it felt like a righteous anger. It felt like an anger I deserve to be in. That it was a good angry and it's not that we shouldn't be angry about those situations, but the question was, would I just sit in it or would I hand it over to God? Would I hand it over to a God who wants to take my fear, who wants to renew my mind? You see, it doesn't diminish the fact that that was a terrible situation and is a terrible situation. But the reality is, is what is the driving force in my life? Is it my relationship with God or is it the anger and bitterness that dwells in my heart? I want to close with this today. Paul, he's writing this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. 
And Timothy works in a place where it's hard to minister. And, and, he, and he wants to quit. He wants to give up. And I want us to hear Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says this, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is reminding Timothy to continue what you have learned because Timothy's temptation is to allow the, the hardships that he face, faces. The things going on is to get him depressed and let that be the main influence in his life. But Paul reminds him, you know the story of God. You know what God is about. And he reminds him that, that of his own faith and his own love and his endurance and persecutions that he himself, Paul, has faced and what's most important for timothy is that he stays rooted in god so right now wherever you may be whatever might be going on in your life those hurts those pains you those fears that you have that unknowingness of what's going to happen tomorrow that fear of what's going to happen with my child are they going to grow up to honor god That fear of, are we going to have enough to make it at the end of the month? Is there going to be enough water? All those fears, all those things, are we willing to lay those at God's feet and remember God's faithfulness? Because what's going on in our hearts affects everyone around us. What does it look like to be a people of God who are rooted in Christ Jesus? And when people see us, they see the rule of Christ in our lives. They see the transformation that has taken place. Because just like those things, those hurts, those fears, those pains, the jealousy that exists in our hearts, how much more so can the love and peace and grace of God that flows out of us affect everyone around us? May the peace of God rule our lives. May the peace of God flood the places we go because our relationship is with Christ Jesus and we've laid everything at his feet.